Welcome, Capital Raisers. The power of the Dragon brand is contemplated on the show today with Wade Winkle. We got into marketing communications, co-GPs, and scaling along the way. All this in relation to the business of capital raising. Are you guys ready to raise? Join me in Miami for the Family Office Club Capital Raising Titans event on August 1st. Use the 50% off discount code TITANS50 while you still can using the link in the show notes. With that, it's Capital Razor Show episode 278, and it starts now. Rock and roll, I got Dwayne Winkle on the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, my friend, dude. Good to see Thanks you. For Thanks for me, having me, Yeah, dude. Love that you're here. This is going to be a lot of fun, man. Very excited. Got to meet you at a couple local meetups. One of them I'm actually going to tonight. You run your own meetup here in town, Syndicator. Brad Sumrock, student, Capital Razor. So we got a lot to chat about here. Capital Razor Show Season 3, powered by Pitch Decks, our good friends at Richard Wilson's Family Office Club. So, Dwayne, for the audience that doesn't know you, let's break down a little bit about your background, how you got into real estate. Tell us about your story, my friend. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm a pretty traditional story. I still have a W-2 job. I work at a big corporate company. I'm in their IT department and I lead a team of website developers. And I was looking to build my portfolio and grow and scale and kind of make sure that we're not just relying on our 401k. Got into the single family fix and flip business, lived in them. And boy, can my wife tell you a couple stories about how much that sucks. And we moved into an apartment, started flipping houses on the side, really looking to scale the business and really grow that. What we realized was single family wasn't for us. Somebody explained it to me one time that the difference between single family valuations and multifamily valuations, multifamily is a business. As soon as that light went on, I was all in. I was hooked line and sinker. Like I was like, yeah, let's do this and let's go all in. So we started investing passively learning the process, learning the ropes from other syndicators, and then said, they can do it, I can do it. And I'm bringing that extra capital angle from my background in technology and marrying that with the business-minded aspect of multifamily real estate. Yeah, that's an important lesson, right? When they tell you that it's based off of the net operating income, not the neighboring properties. And then they show you like, by forcing the appreciation and increasing the income, you know, when you compare that against the cap rate, this is how much you just increase the value of the property. It's such a light bulb moment in my history back in the day. I learned that from Johnny Dessauer, who I recently interviewed. He's fantastic. So when you started getting into syndication, you mentioned passive investing first. How many passive deals did you get involved with before you made the leap into syndicating your first deal? We did three passive deals beforehand. So I like to understand the process and then refine it a little bit. We got hooked when we were seeing those checks coming in. I was like, this is great. Somebody else is running this property for me. So really understood that process and then looked at a couple other syndicators in different markets to see if there were any differences. And then we felt comfortable to start syndicating ourselves, partnering with people. So we're more the co-GP side, bringing that capital with other really experienced operators in other markets. Did you know as you were transitioning from flipping into passive that at some point you would want to syndicate? Was that on the radar right as you started passive investing? It was. We definitely know that the leverage there 
is a little different than if you passively invest and we have more control over the property. I still have a little bit of control issues for my single family days. Want to make sure I'm seeing the full project end to end that full life cycle of it and know that we can bring just a little bit differentiator to a project like that. So we knew we wanted to do that in advance. Okay. And then have you been the lead GP on a deal yet, or are you just doing co-GPs as of now? I'm currently mainly co-GP, right? Awesome. So bringing, partnering with those other groups that you mentioned, like there are different multifamily operators that we're connected with. So we go and vet those relationships. So you don't have to, and we can, you know me and you trust that I'll vet the operators for you. So you don't really have to do that work. Okay, cool. And then do you want to be a full-blown GP or are you cool with the co-GP model? We want to move into the full-blown GP, like lead syndicator model as soon as possible. It just depends. We're able to buy bigger assets as a larger group and really like that advantage right now. Okay, cool. So I've run into some syndicators. They're like, oh yeah, I syndicated for eight years and I decided to kind of wow. tune it back. It's a lot of work. I'd rather just focus on the things that I'm good at, which is raising capital. So now I have a fund. I've had some people say that before. And some other people are just like, hey, I, I want to be the, the GP and make sure. And I, I mean, some people are just like, there's no way that I would do it without being the GP because then I have control over my investors' money. I don't know if that's fully a right perspective, right? Because I think that's very controlling. I think you can definitely co-GP with somebody. And if you feel comfortable with a sponsor, know that you're participating in the team that's being the steward of money for your investors. And for a lot of people, if they have the right relationships, that works out just fine. And we so like to participate on, even though we're not the lead sponsor per se, we still participate and make sure that the property is operating well. And we're part of the asset management calls with my technology background and my wife's marketing background. We're able, when we reposition properties, we're able to make sure that they're really well positioned in the market and make sure that their marketing, their lead flows, the contacts really help with occupancy. So we do a lot of that. We might not always be on the capital expenditure side of things, running the construction crews, but we do participate still. So we still feel like in the co-GP model that we have a lot of leverage to make sure that we're looking out for our investors long-term. So a lot of people that have been passively investing, some of them go through, a lot of them actually go through mentorship programs. But as they're figuring out how to and decided they want to become co-GPs, they're still kind of like, you have to take that leap. And then where do you start? Like, how do you negotiate your partnership share and what exactly you're going to bring to the table in the GP? Tell me about those experiences for you when you decided to go from passive to active. Great question. I think initially it's about building those relationships. So really understanding yourself, what you can contribute to a group and an organization, and then presenting that to multiple syndicators and operators and saying, hey, I have the technology and marketing experience. Is that something that you're lacking on your team or that you might be in need of? Not necessarily lacking per se, but like, would you like an extra boost in that for this particular project? And think of me in the future, right? So it's building those relationships in those networking opportunities and then going about that saying, this is the value I bring. Does that add value to you? And then partnering with people where you have symbiotic relationships. That makes sense. And then from the GP perspective, as they're looking for potential co-GP partners to help them run the business and bring capital, they need to make sure that there's a fit because you obviously can't just raise money and get paid for it without participating 
in the deal, not just for six months, but throughout the duration of the entire project. Right. So correct. Yeah. Is that one of the things that you do as well is bring some equity to the deals? I do. Yeah. As part of the project overall, we're capital raisers. So we do focus on bringing our investors to specific deals. Like I mentioned before, we do the vetting, we do the management of the relationship. So the investors that we're working with only know us as the multifamily people, and they don't need to go like sift through all the different opportunities. I don't know about you, Ruben, but every deal I see is amazing and it's never going to lose any money, but they don't know that. Right. So they want to make sure they're looking at these from our lens. So we only present like the best opportunities that we see fit for our different investors. Sometimes the investors are looking for a little more cash flow. Sometimes they want long-term appreciation. So I don't right. bring, I bring the right deal to the right investor and That's I so do all the legwork for them. So I've interviewed a bunch of people on the show and as I'm interviewing them, a lot of times I'm vetting them. So I'd be curious to hear, you know, you've built a lot of relationships. You've picked out some certain partnerships that made sense for you and your partners. You've looked at, I'm sure, a lot of markets to decide as part of the opportunity, if it makes sense for your specific needs and for your investors' needs. So what are some of the things, let's just kind of boil it down and condense it to one or two of the topics. So when you're vetting a sponsor, you obviously want to feel pretty good about them in terms of no like, and trust. But what else are you looking for when you're vetting a sponsor that you could potentially co-GP with? And of course, you're vetting them for your limited partners as well. So what are you looking for? Definitely a track record. I mean, the no like, and trust is kind of a given these days, but I want to make sure they have a track record and that they've done this before. It's really important to know that they've gone through those particular steps. They've taken certain deals full cycle. So that's something that we look at. The other thing that we look at is net worth and liquidity. Because as we know, there are definitely things that come up with real estate transactions that might need a little more capital than was expected on certain situations. The interest rates may go crazy through the roof and we want to make sure that we've had the correct cap rates. And if we didn't purchase enough insurance for certain areas, they were able to cover that to kind of beyond the reserves. We want to make sure that we're really comfortable. We really want to avoid at all costs a capital call and make sure yeah. that we don't need that. Not only that, but we, it's not only the amount of doors. The other criteria that we look at is I will call the investors and I will call the general partners and say like, all right, we're going to partner up. I really monitor the communication back and forth. Yes. Are they responsive or did it take them two weeks to get back to you on a topic? We're a business partnership for five to 10 years at this point. And I want to make sure that we have a good working relationship and that are able to communicate. If they have 10,000 doors and they don't want to return my phone call because I'm just on one of their deals, that's not going to be a good working relationship for me and it won't be beneficial to my investors as well. So I want to understand their communication style as well. Now, are you investing with the GP before you co-GP with them passively in any situations? Not necessarily, but we always invest as an LP on all of our deals. So we want to make sure that we're congruent and all mutual benefits for everybody involved, right? So my money's sitting right next to yours if we invest in the same yeah. deal. So we've got skin in the game just like you do. Yeah, aligned interest is key. So I was kind of curious about this particularly because you passively invested and there's a lot of syndicators that continue to passively invest because they want to see what other people are doing in terms of communication infrastructure. Was there anything about your first passive deals that kind of opened the curtains as to 
what you wanted to do as a co-GP or GP in your own deals? Was there anything that you didn't like about passively invested in terms of things that you're like, hey, when I become a co-GP or GP, I'm going to make sure to do this better? I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, it's a great question. That's exactly why we did limited partnership first is so we could understand kind of the ins and outs and the intricacies of it. The first couple deals, uh, obviously the partnership to be remain nameless. We didn't feel like we had that level of trust and commitment and then the communication angle of it. Of course, they update, you know, their documents once a quarter in the portal and everything's fine and that's enough for them. But we really want to make sure that we're letting everybody know play by play, step by step what we're doing. On a recent deal, we're repositioning. We just put in the new sign. We're working on all the landscaping and we're making sure that it's got a fresh coat of paint on the outside. So we make sure on a monthly basis, if not more frequently, we're sending some pictures to the investors. We're making sure that they're feeling like their investment is being put to use in a really positive way. Not only that, but we're impacting people that live there. And once we do that and we really focus on the residents, the investors will always get their return because the residents have a really nice place to live. But constantly communicating what we're doing, you can ignore the email, but if it's not there, you don't have anything to ignore, then we get more questions, right? Then you're like, what are you doing over there? How are you treating the freeze in Dallas recently? What does the interest rates look like? Are you guys concerned or is everything fine on that? So just over communicating about what's going on really puts everybody at ease and you're being super transparent if there are issues and occupancies dropping what are you doing to take steps to improve that we can explain all of that and we do proactively so i think it's more a proactive communication approach that we take opposed to we have the money and we're just going to put it to use and trust us i love that because there's plenty of syndicators out there that are fantastic at acquisitions and running the business and providing investor returns. And then they are very curious about why did they lose an investor when they basically doubled their money in five years or gave them a 20% IRR. And a lot of the times it's because the investor experienced somebody that's put in 50 or 100 or $150,000. It's a portion of their nest egg and they can't get the syndicator on the phone or get enough communication. So to have that skill and to be associated with somebody that's communicating it really is going to help with investor retention and getting people to reinvest with you it's been my experience one of the things that i look for highly when i'm betting a sponsor so i love that you guys have really focused on over communicating now tell me this though because this is kind of tricky for some people it's one thing to say hey we really want to over communicate and it's another thing to put the infrastructure in place so was there anything unique about what you did? I mean, you obviously weren't just sending one-off emails. How did you put that CRM or newsletter or communication infrastructure in place? And what does that look like? Yeah, another good question. With my technology background, I nice. love a good process. That's my favorite thing, almost to a fault. I love everything has its own place. And with the capital raising portion of it, we already have a really solid CRM and pipeline and marketing funnel. So what we do is we tag everybody accordingly per deal that they're in so they automatically get the communication that's going out about that specific deal we have email templates already pre-built that have the branding and colors for the apartment complex itself so all we really need to fill is that body copy about what's going on with the property and make sure that we're putting our highlights and updates in there so it makes it really smooth 
It takes a couple hours after our weekly calls. If I need to send something out, you know, it's quick to bang out an email and make sure everybody is being communicated to effectively. And then, so the branding, before we go into how you came up with your brand, currently, does it sound right if you're in a GP team, the GP has a brand and then the communications go out to you and then you change it to Winkle Capital before you send it out to your investors? How does that look? That's correct. We want to make sure that we're keeping our investor databases separate, if you would, to make sure that everybody is effectively communicating and managing your own group, right? Like that's your responsibility is Ruben brought 10 friends and I brought 10 friends. That's great. But your 10 friends are your 10 problems. And then mine are accordingly, right? So we do separate that out. However, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll be proactive and we'll communicate to the GP team, the lead sponsors. Hey, this is what we were thinking about sending. Are you okay with that? So we might even be a little more proactive than, you know, maybe the main syndicator. And that's another value add. They say, that looks great. They copy that and put that in their email template and we're helping, right? So that's, that's sweet. winning on the team together. I love that. Okay, cool. So tell us about the actual branding. When did you start considering, hey, I need to create a brand? What did you do to create that? How did you come up with the colorways and stuff like that? And what is the main message that you're sending through your brand? Yeah, as far as when we wanted to start the brand, we initially, being marketing and technology experts at what we do, knew that branding's everything. Mm -hmm. So before we even went and started talking to the brokers, we wanted to make sure that we had a brand because if not, it's some random husband and wife team that's trying to talk to you and everybody wants a deal and make a lot of money. So we wanted to put a professional brand together to make sure that we were taken seriously. What's one thing that somebody does when you meet them? They pull out their phone. They say, oh, let me look you up, see who you are. Like, make sure that you're credible. Right now, having a website, having an Instagram profile, having a LinkedIn presence, make sure that you're credible, that you show up when you're being searched. So we started that process early on that the brokers were able to actually go and find us. Because that's what they're going to do. The broker's number one job is to make sure you're credible and that you can actually buy the property. Getting started, that's a bit of a challenge. And when you're partnering with others, you're like, yeah, it's okay. I've got a couple buddies and we're going to put this deal together. It sounds less credible. When we present Winkle Capital and we have a brand and a logo and a hat, a little logo pin, lapel pin, that all works together. And everybody's like, wow, that's really sharp. That's professional. They expect a certain quality when somebody's going to be handing over fifty to one hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars. So that's where we started to get the logo. We use ninety nine designs. We just put it out there. We said this is our brand aesthetic and our feel, and got this really badass logo, W and a C, and the dragon really represents that like luck and growth and prosperity, and also protecting your wealth. Right? Dragons are really good at about accumulating wealth and being really badass and. We wanted to stand out too, right? Yes. That's I was just about piece. to ask you about that. I didn't realize that when you said you're a tech employee or in that W2, that marketing was part of what you were doing. So now we can kind of open up a, a new can of worms here. Sure. So when it comes to the brand, because you mentioned something that I was really going to go down this road was standing out, right? Because a lot of people have pictures of buildings and other people have pictures of families and creating financial wealth and other people have other things. What kind of feeling do you want to provide or get the person that goes to your website to understand or to resonate with? What's your avatar? What kind of message are you trying to send through the website branding? 
we really want to make sure that everybody feels that it's a very professional brand, but yet that it does set yourself apart. We aren't like Wall Street. We're not buttoned up. We don't have the suit and tie method. It's not your stock photography. Everybody's got the same Google picture of, you know, the multifamily units. And you can, as now, you've probably seen them. You can point them out on a site. So when somebody's looking at our brand, we want to make sure that it sets apart. We really have a brand that goes above and beyond and kind of is a little more aggressive in the market. And that should stand out and like make everybody feel comfortable that we're working hard so you don't have to. That's the whole point of investing passively is that, hey, I trust that guy, I like that guy. He grinds, he goes the extra mile. And you're like, great, I feel comfortable. Here's here's some money. Tell me when it grows, you know, like make sure I'm in the loop on everything. You're like, dude, you're going to hear from us. Don't worry about it, you know? I love it. Okay, cool. Let's talk a little bit about your business model. So what kind of stuff are you investing in? Are you looking at apartments of any specific asset class, A class, B class, full heavy lift kind of stuff? Tell me more about where and what you're investing in. We focus exclusively on the B and C type asset class for multifamily apartments. And we do medium to light value add. A lot of times what we find is we can find operational efficiencies and reduce expenses. I know everybody's looking to juice the rents. I want to increase my rents. Well, yeah, but if you put in a water conservation package, I do live in Arizona and I do invest in Arizona. We were talking about water rights earlier. It's important in the desert to make sure that we're conserving water. And it can save you about 25 to 30% on your utility bill. If anybody knows about NOI, expenses are one of the things that controls your NOI. So if we can increase that, that's a differentiator that we might bring. So we don't necessarily have to do a really heavy value add play. There's a lot of construction that goes with that. So that can be a little bit difficult. Markets that we focus in, obviously the Sun Belt is where we like to target. We're really heavily invested in Arizona, Phoenix specifically, Dallas and Nashville are our target markets. We love Arizona though. Taxes are low, insurance is great, and it's a great place to live. Cool. So you and your wife going lead GP, what are the main things that you want to do in addition to bringing capital to the deals? Are you looking for co-GPs that will take on specific roles or you guys want to do everything? Tell me more about that. Yeah, as far as co-GPs, as part of that process, we'd be happy to have somebody take on that construction, you know, maybe as the units are coming through and we need to renovate those. That would be something that would be really helpful. We do not have a strong background in construction. As I mentioned, we did the fix and flip, so I can get in there and swing a hammer, but it's not necessarily up to code. So we want to make sure we have somebody that's following that process along and then potentially helping with the acquisition pipeline and doing the underwriting. We're aware of what good looks like and we can do it, but just finding a partner that would be able to help with that would be always a, a benefit. Cool. So tell us about your meetup, what you got going on with that. The meetup's fantastic. We really love just meeting everybody in the area. A lot of times we have people that have a ton of units that come that are looking to network and learn new things, talk about the industry. Or we have other people that have never heard about it, and this is their first foyer into real estate investing. Say, how do I get involved in that? These big apartment complexes look really sexy. Like, I'm really curious. They're not aware, so we like to bring them up to speed. We always provide some food and wine to get people talking and have a good time and make sure that the networking flows freely. It's really important to us to build a community. 
where everybody's working together. Ruben, I hope you raise millions and millions of dollars and we can partner together and you can help me raise millions and millions of dollars and help everybody. So it's like the rising tide lifts all ships mentality. And we go, usually the format of the meetup is, you know, we do a little bit about the market. I think it's important we're in the market. So we really understand the market thoroughly. Then we'll have guest speakers that are speaking on different topics come and present to the audience. And we have always have a Q&A session that's really powerful as well. Yeah, that's really powerful when you have some pull to get some amazing speakers come and present to your audience in the meetup. So that gives you a level of authority. Is there anything else you're doing in terms of marketing to capture some authority or, I mean, in addition to going on podcast, you mentioned that you have like an ebook that I'm sure that works as a great lead magnet. What else are you doing to kind of get your name out there and show that you know what you're doing? The ebook was also really important. So we created that again, that's really on brand and has a lot of our look and feel throughout to help people understand how to invest in real estate. You don't have to go through all the steps that we did, right? You can yeah. jump, you can jump to the end and invest in apartment complexes and live your life as you expect and you know have your time freedom back. We're also pretty heavily involved in social media as well. So the LinkedIn presence, and then we're also starting webinars and then going to roll out a podcast. I've seen it work really well for others like yourself. So we'll be rolling out a podcast probably in springtime sometime. Podcast is really great. In addition to all the other benefits is getting to know people because you can spend like an hour or however long your show is just kind of asking people whatever you want. Even, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I love I really it. You're in the driver's seat at that point. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. So let's jump into the lightning round. I got some questions for you. How about we start with this best vacation you've ever taken? Best vacation I've ever taken was last year in January, spent a week in Tahoe at the Olympic Village. I skied the Palisades and Alpine Meadows and saw the lake from like 12,000 feet. I remember they have an app and you can track how fast you're going. Bad idea. Cool for me. I was hauling down a mountain going like 55 miles an hour. It was just a ton of fun. I really enjoyed it. I had, I'd never been to Tahoe, like highly recommended. Yeah, Tahoe is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Favorite book of any kind? Favorite book is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick. I just love the mindset and mentality that he has, how he brings like the military and the SEAL, Navy SEAL mindset into business friendly terms and how we can all just like take that ownership and make kind of choose your own destiny with it and not blame others and know that you're in control of all those situations, even how you show up. Excellent. I just put that book in my Kindle Unlimited. I'm glad to hear you. It's, it's got great. a recommendation. Awesome. Discipline equals freedom is his follow-up to that. How much of your success do you attribute to mindset? Probably 75 to 80% is mindset. I think a lot of times the other piece that gets overlooked is taking action. I think you can always get things done. You're like, I really believe in myself. But if you're not taking those steps to actually progress and build that confidence and in that track record, that's all for naught. You can have the best mindset in the world without taking action. How long do you want to live? I actually want to live to be 112. Excellent. Yeah. Do you have any hacks for breaking through limiting beliefs? I think a hack for breaking through a limiting belief is really taking those steps, like just 1% better every day. If I want to start a podcast first, you got to get a microphone. Next, what do you need? You need a video camera, right? So just one step at a time. You'd be surprised how many times somebody says, I don't know how to do that. 
I bet you could figure out how to lose the weight or run a marathon or whatever. Do you want to do it? That's a different problem. And I think you need to work on that mindset to get there. But the hack mm -hmm. is just do one thing every day. Just put a list together and you can probably get most of the way there. I think that's what Atomic Habits is all about. It's just getting exactly. I love that book. Yeah. James Clear. Favorite childhood memory. Favorite childhood memory was riding along with my dad. He used to be an 18 wheel semi truck driver. So in the summer times on vacation, I just get to ride around the country like road trip for like a month at a time. It was awesome. I saw all of the truck stops. I've been to all 48 contiguous United States. So it was, yeah, I'll never forget that. Very unique experience. That sounds very cool. Best way to raise capital from your perspective? Building relationships. I know a lot of times that comes up pretty frequently, but knowing the people that you're working with is really important. Don't ever invest in something you don't understand and somebody that's willing to describe it to you and kind of go through that process and build you up and bring you along is somebody that you want to work with long-term. Phenomenal. Name a painful lesson or misstep from some of your real estate endeavors. I remember doing a single family fix and flips where we relied on the contractor to do some of the work. And at the end of the project, we got a notice that says we didn't pull the right permits. So I go back and I have a conversation with the contractor and I said, hey, what's the deal here? And he said, well, you told me to do it as cheap as possible. I said, legally cheap as possible. I didn't think I needed to put that part in there, but we needed to redo a couple things when we were running electricity and plumbing. So we had to have somebody open the walls up and come and certify a little bit. So it took extra time and extra effort we weren't prepared for, but I'll always make sure to add the legally now in front of please do it efficiently. Hilarious. What do you love best about doing Spartan races? I love the competition. So it's really fun to challenge yourself, but you're also working against the clock and yourself, right? Like there's always everybody else that's running the race, but when I do them consistently and I've done them year over year, I can say, oh, last time I ran the super in this amount of time. Now I'm trying to beat my record. And then I'm always like learning different weird things. I've hung one of the ropes in my backyard so I can practice climbing the rope better because I couldn't do that the nice. first time. So it's constant improvement. That is a hard one of the obstacles. I would, so you mentioned, cause you do the trifecta and you have to go out of state to do those. I would highly recommend avoiding arriving in a high elevation like Colorado Springs and doing the military style version on the day that you arrive there without So I did that, it was torture, but I made it through. So I don't know, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> The hanging, the grip exercises are the hardest things for me. I don't, I don't do enough hanging workouts, apparently. Fascinating. All right. Do your spiritual philosophies have anything to do with your success in business? I believe that they do. I think part of my religion has really taught me just to do the best that you can in all of the situations that you can. And that leads to the over-communication or the extra hard work. Even when it's difficult, you might want to sue the contractor for not doing the right thing. You know, do you take the high road or you, how do you process those challenges and where are you going to be looking out for your investors is really important. We take that personally. And I believe that that's really made a big impact. Have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near death experience? No, you would remember a near death experience, I think. So yeah, that's not, one's not coming to mind. Some people consider that question just a way 
of looking at life because some people think that life itself is a miracle the fact that they're experiencing consciousness or that they had babies or any number of things and other people are just like nah you know i don't know it's it's always interesting to hear what people have to say about this particular question what impact so this is our last question for the lightning round brought to you by shannon amigo one of our great listeners she would like to know what impact would you like to leave in the world i would like to make the world just a little bit brighter place so when when i'm gone people are like dude do you remember that guy like what a dude you know just making sure that we're leaving legacies for other people by building great communities and you can share that with your family for a long time coming. I think it's really cool to be able to help others experience that and really get that time freedom back that they're always looking for. Heck yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for entertaining us on that part of the show. Definitely love the lightning round. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a written five-star review and shout out to my company, Legacy Acquisitions and our sponsor, Syndication Pro and Pitch Decks. We got a great new capital raising coaching program in conjunction with the Family Office Club. Find out more about that at our website, capitalraisershow.com. Dwayne, how does the audience get a hold of you, my friend? They'd like to get a hold of me or talk to us at all. They could go to winklecapital.com. And we even have a special how-to guide that we've left there. So if you go winklecapital.com slash how-to guide, you'll be able to pick that up and see how to leapfrog and jump into multifamily investing right away. And that's the ebook you were talking about earlier, right? That's right. Yep. Okay, fantastic. All right. Any last words of wisdom for the aspiring capital raiser or syndicator as they scale in their multifamily business? I think it starts off with just believing that you can do it, you know, taking action towards something. And then that always multiplies into whatever financial freedom that you're looking for. So just know and like constantly follow the process that other people have laid before you. Don't think you have to recreate the wheel on your own. Just make sure that you're constantly moving forward and you'll be able to get there quicker than you like. Yeah. A lot of people, if you're listening in and there's no one in your family that's ever bought a property that's worth more than $5 million, and now you're considering and contemplating taking down a $20 million multifamily property, it could be a little intimidating. But the secret is something that you've said multiple times throughout the show, which is if other people can do it, I can do it too. And if you spend some time with these syndicators, you realize, man, they're just like you and I. They're mortal human beings with just some specialized knowledge, which you can acquire yourself too. So those are the last things that I wanted to leave the audience with. Man, this has been a blast. Dwayne, I'm sure I'll be hanging out with you in South Scottsdale at your meetup here shortly and having a couple slices of pizza. So I look forward to seeing you and watching you progress over the next coming years. Any last thing that you want to say actually about Brad Sumrock? We didn't bring him up too much during the show. I just was curious if you had any thoughts on what Brad's like great. About- yeah. I, I recommend anybody do any type of mentorship. Maybe you don't necessarily jive with Brad or the, uh, there are a lot of other ones out there. That's I've loved hanging out with Brad. I think Brad's amazing, but there are definitely places and people where you can learn and grow from. It's about that, you know, being close to that network and learning from other people that are doing it, you're doing something currently in your life that's a value to others and getting paid for it. You can bring that to the real estate space and just partner with somebody else like we were talking about before being a co-GP. And there are groups like that where you can partner with other syndicators and bring your own value to it. Yeah, Brad's great. Brad's program's amazing as well. Nice, dude. All right, cool, man. This has been a blast, dude. I appreciate you coming on the show, my friend. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Woo.